opportunity. So this is the time where I get to ask you some real questions. The real, real questions. Not that bullshit I be giving you on the motherfucking lies and shit. <laughs> Not the BS. <laughs> the real the real questions that been going through my head. Okay. Okay. So welcome to Black Girl Tired Book Talk. Please introduce yourself. My name is Darlene Cunningham. I'm an independent self-published author. I have a total of seven books written, three published, and two set to publish by the end of the year. Okay. So how long have you been writing and what possessed you to say, this was my aha moment that I wanted to write? I've been writing ever since I was little. Mm. Um, I've always been into poetry, big on poetry. I thought I'd be a poetry writer. Um, I took AP English in high school, college, minor in English. I've always written because I've always loved to read. And I was I, that's the way I express myself. Um, what made me start writing last year, mm. August? M. Monique okay. and A.J. Davison. I kept, because they write the kind of books that I used to live in my 20s. I used to live that life in my 20s. And so I kept saying, write me, write my story, write my story. I got stories for y'all. And they said, the only person that can tell your story the best is you. That is true. And they told me that, August, I put it on paper and bam. Yeah, so this is college. But we'll get into that one. We'll get into that. Okay, your books that are out now are so this is college, black people don't ski, seasons change book one, uh, Vanta Black, Seasons Change Book Two, and on the horizon is hashtag hockey life and Santa Baby. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. So let's dive into your first book. So this is college. Yes, promote that. Promote that. <laughs> All right. The the female main character, Diane, is a BBW, yes. and she's older, going into college as a college student with a very strong personality that knows and knows what she wants sexually and likes exploring things. So was it the main factors for you to show that as her character? Honestly, Diane really wasn't about the sex. Mm. Diane wanted to feel loved. Mm. And the only way she felt love, her most pivotal moment of feeling love, because she never got it from her parents, was her first sexual experience. Right. So she subconsciously knew that that wasn't the only way you could receive love, mm -hmm. but that's the only way she felt love was through sex. So therefore she had a high sex drive and that's why she was smashing like she was smashing. Do you think that because she was, um, let me see, how can I put it? Do you think that her personality really portrays a lot of what a lot of older women feel? Because, in, you know, I'm 45. Back in the day, we didn't get, a lot of parents weren't on that love, lovey crap either. Mm-hmm. And so we were out in the streets. So <laughs> do you think Diane is more, I think, yeah, relatable. 
Yeah, I think because Diane, I'm a I'm a I'm a Gen Xer also. So mm. our parents didn't care what we was doing. We didn't. They didn't say I love you and all that old gushy stuff that we do our kids now. Right. So we got love in the streets. I used to mess with dope boys. So that was on my you know if you getting something from me i'm gonna get something from you type of situation right. but dope boys even though dope boys are rough they mm -hmm. treat their women so gentle mm -hmm. and so i think it is a generational thing some millennials yeah. probably have experienced that also but i know for gen xers and late millennials honey that's how we found love was through getting getting sex and we was always chasing a bad boy because in the 90s that was popping dmx you know Nas, all the the rappers was popping back then biggie so that's what we was looking for everybody was looking for a tupac yeah, <laughs> yeah. so all right then with jared he was like on a different spectrum mm -hmm. because he came from wealth he was in a fraternity he was about monogamy mm -hmm. He didn't want to like, oh my God, we, uh, you do what you do. I do what I do. No, he was like, you are mine type deal. Right. So why did you make the contrast so different? Was it the That's, age gap? No, I think it's just the theme in all my stories because black men, we talk about black men like dogs in real life. Mm -hmm. We say they ain't trash. They ain't nothing. You know, black men getting a bad rap right about now. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to portray the men, which you you know in all my books, I portray my black men as men who want to be involved in a relationship with a woman. Right, right. So, so oh, go ahead. No, I'm done. So, Jared was really a complicated character, though. He was. And the reason why Jared wanted a relationship so bad was because of the abandonment issues. His mama left him when he was a kid. So anyone that showed him any kind of affection and sparked something in him, he wanted to latch on to that because subconsciously men and women do it also with men. We look for pieces of our parents in other people because right. our parents are innately our first good person the person that loves us or supposed to love us unconditionally. Right. So his dad loved him unconditionally. His mom did also, but his mom was putting herself first at the time. So yeah. once he found a relationship and being in a fraternity, you know how it is and how would I know how the fraternities roll, the D9. So yeah. he went through his thing of getting all the punani he could get. He was over there. Yeah. You know, after a while it gets old. He wanted somebody that was going to stay. Right. That's, that's that's why Jared was the way he was. Now, the professor. <laughs> y'all, if y'all haven't read this book, please put put it back up again one more time. One more time. One more again. One more again. If y'all have not read the first book we're talking about, please go get this book. It is in her TikTok shop. <laughs> Tell y'all. Because I had to put that out there before I went into the professor. <laughs> All right. The professor's character, he also was complex. Yes. Because he had psychological issues that rendered him just like looking for a mom. Yes. Pretty much. And he was open with his sexuality, just not in his teacher life. 
Now, I'm going to tell the story, and I'm hoping the professor that I'm referring to isn't going to watch this, but <laughs> Professor Resto was actually based off my poetry professor at Howard University. I knew I should have went to an HBCU instead of a PWI. <laughs> He was a Afro. He was Puerto Rican from the Bronx, and he believed he was Afro Puerto Rican. But you know how history goes in the black community, regardless of what country you're born in. So he told us how he was born to a drug addicted parent, and he actually wrote a poetry book about his mom and dad being on drugs when he was younger. And so that's where the parent of the drug use came in was from mm -hmm. his actual story. And he did have the shakes like he would be in class and he would literally be rocking. And he explained mm -hmm. that was a side effect from his mother being a drug, a drug addict while she was mm -hmm. pregnant. And so me and my friend Jasmine, because I thought he kind of was professor. I was an older student. Keep it in mind. But we kind of was crushing on each other. And my friend Jasmine was like, is he gay? And, you know, I was like, I don't care if he gay or not, if he um, faithful to me, I don't care. Yeah, I heard that. If he with me at the time, he ain't with nobody else, so I don't care. I so heard that. when I started writing the book, Professor Medina, that's the professor, Tony Medina, look him up. He's got a bunch of poetry out um, and he's got some comic books out. But when I thought of the character, Professor Resto, he was who I thought of. And so since Jasmine mentioned him, possibly being gay, which he isn't because he has a girlfriend. I was like, why don't I make him twisted? Because his real life story started out so tragic. Yeah. And that's how Professor Resto came about. I, You know, and Damn. Damn. You just yeah. blew my mind with that one. Damn. Yeah. Now, I don't know if anybody, if you have read this book, you know what I'm talking about. If you have not read this book, just listen up. In my eyes, I see this as an erotic suspense thriller. I do not see this as a dark romance. I see this as a suspenseful black thriller with some eroticism in it. <laughs> and the eroticism is very important in the story because of their tragedies or their trauma. They're all using sex to kind of work through it. Yes. So if it's a vital part of the story. And and I didn't realize how much sex was in it until I was reading it. 20 of the 22 chapters have sex scenes. Girl, I couldn't even give you like a thorough, thorough review because all I could focus on was the boinking. Like they was laying pipe all over the place, standing up, showers, motherfucking bitch. It was going on. Everybody back was getting blown out. Shit, even the men. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was like, I knew I, the plot, I, but the sex was just like, my God. And then the ending. Yeah. And that's the thing, like every time Professor Resto got upset, what'd he do? Have sex. Man. Every time Diane was feeling insecure, what'd she do? Have sex. Every time Jer Jared wanted control over Diane, what did he do? Have sex. So the it, it all was intertwined and correlating together, you know? But and you just, be just because you're a nice guy don't mean you're not demented in some at some level. But you also brought up the the one thing that also goes into college class shit. I don't care if you go to a PWI or HBCU, uh, the parties when people drug you. Yes. The parties when people drug you, when your friends is off doing their thing and forget you even exist. Mm -hmm. 
and you know you get caught in a situation where you get drugged and, and you don't know what to do and it was so dubious because she was drinking she was high mm -hmm. but still if you know this as a dude don't take advantage exactly exactly and i i love that you had from the psychological standpoint where they all were dealing with parental issues mm -hmm. which is big in, in the, the black and the afro latino community that is a big thing mm -hmm. and the fact that sex plays such a big part because when you're younger and i don't know if they still do it nowadays you always hear oh that little girl gonna be fat Oh, that, that little boy is so handsome. He's going to be a player, mm -hmm. you know? So when I read this book, because I read it twice, I think three times, twice, three, whatever. I read it a lot. So therefore, because I, I wanted to go back, because I wanted to X out just the sex. I wanted to go back and really look at the dynamics. Yeah. And the dynamics was very psychological and it played into reality. Yeah. So was that your, was that intentional? of yes. you yes yes whenever i write i write with intention okay um a lot of the story is based off my experience you know how they mm -hmm. say every time you write a book is based loosely off you every mm -hmm. single book i write is loosely based off something mm -hmm. real life so that was my intent to show how even though having sex early is taboo in our community mm -hmm. we start off by telling children early they fast Right. We start off by telling them we don't love them. We start off right. by not even talking about sex. So right. when we get in our teen years, we go rock them, sock them. We go buck wow. You know, we, we start smoking weed. We start hanging out with dudes that's selling drugs, you know. Mm -hmm. So they on their paper chase. It's exciting to us. And in a sense, those bad boys kind of treat us like our parents did. So that's like love. They love me. Oh, he a thug. He come, come here, girl. Give me a kiss, girl. That's rough love. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to kind of, you know, Professor Resto was nice, but he was rough. And yes. she was attracted to that. Jared yeah. was nice, but he was rough. Yeah. She was attracted to that. That's why she didn't want beauty. Because beauty was yeah. too nice. Yeah. 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 Dreads was too respectful. Yeah, but did you have to pop off everybody? Yeah, damn, everybody, everybody had to get on it. Everybody had to get Jerry had to get his lick back on everybody because, like, he, damn. because he was not gonna have his new woman leave him like his mother did. So what he had to do to make her stay, he was gonna make her stay. And did and did. <laughs> so that leads me to this question okay so you this so this is college it's done it's set in stone where do we go from so this is college with that particular story with this story due to popular demand from my little four fans that i had at the time <laughs> professor resto i'm gonna start writing his story next year I've already wrote out the character description. I've already wrote out some of the things that's going to take place in his teen years um, mm -hmm. that's taking place. And the book is called Nordic Professor. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start writing it next year. He's going to be 16. He's going to be messing with 
people that's on drugs. He's mm. going to be messing with older women. He's going to have his first encounter with a man. I'm going to talk about his first encounter with a man. It's going to get into what made Professor Resto Professor Resto. 16, he was getting slobbed on his knobs. He was getting, he was slob, they were slobbing on his knob like a corn on the cob at 16 because he was looking for a mother. You have to remember, Professor Resto is still, he was searching for his mother ever since he was 15. Mm. So anybody that had those traits, he was going to get with them. So right. a lot of crackheads at the time, they'll suck you off for $20. So that's how he makes that connection with his mom early on. He messes with older women. And when I say old, I mean 55, 60, 65 at 17, 18 years old, because his abuela, his grandmother was the only mother figure he had. And she loved him to no end. Oh, this must be some dark, dark. It, it, yeah, it, it's going to go there psychologically. It's going to go there because people try to make it seem like trauma. Hey, you have light triggers by acting out sexual knowledge. No, you go in. You 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 know, my abuela made me feel good. Right. I want her to love back. He can't sleep with his abuela, but he can right. sleep with a surrogate. You know what I mean? Right. And that's when he's going to be his softest. When he's with these 60, 65 year old women, he's going to be his softest. Wow. He's going to be his roughest when he's with the women that remind him of his mother, the drug addicts and yada, yada, yada. Damn. That is so deep. I can't wait for that shit. Oh, dang. Okay. Let me stop. Um, let's get into your next book. I am going to get this re-edited because I may, I'm considering maybe doing a box set. Girl, like, say less. Like selling Professor Resto separately, but also putting it as a box set so you'll have both. So I will be getting this re-edited just for grammar and all that, cause you know. Mm -hmm. I don't drink, but I'm gonna sip my coffee with you. I'm trying out the Taylor Port, trying to see how what it's about. Everybody been talking about it. <laughs> it's all right. It's medical. <laughs> it's medicine for real. It is a <laughs> uh, so let's get into the next book. Next book is Rum and Rome. <laughs> Black people don't ski. Black people don't ski. Now, how did you come up? No, not how did you come up with that title? How did you feel about that title and people saying that they didn't like it just because it, it was a stereotype? about black people how did you feel about that the thing that i had anticipated and the thing that did happen happened mm. black people who didn't understand the stereotype took mm -hmm. it literally they wow. took the title black people do ski why would you say black people i know black people ski but it was a play on stereotypes the stereotypes that we as a black community put on ourselves to prevent us from doing things that we want to do Right. You no, know, growing up, all I heard was black people don't be getting in no water. Black people don't be swimming. I even had my son's dad when I went to go see Rent. Black people don't be going to no plays. Black people don't go to no operas. So we put these stereotypes that we couldn't afford to do. That's why black people didn't do half the stuff we did. Because exactly. we couldn't afford to pay for a damn opera. We couldn't afford to go skiing. We couldn't afford to swim. Part of it was because of the perm, you know. But since we've been going natural, we get in the water. 
So I wanted to play on those stereotypes because we we as a community try to blame white people for everything. And at the core mm-hmm. of it is because, you know, a white supremacy, we couldn't do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But at what point should we have stopped ourselves and stopped saying what we can't do and just start doing it? That's true. So it was a play on words because I heard that growing up. Black people don't be getting in no water. We don't be doing that. We don't be. So I wanted to do a play on words, and the girls that got the play on words got the play on words. I thought it was funny as hell. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I myself snowboard. Yeah, <laughs> good as hell. Yeah. So <laughs> I I thought it was funny as hell. I liked it. But yeah, and, and somebody there's, there's a black ski club in Detroit. I was told by a, t- a book talker that it's a black ski club in Detroit. So when I wrote this book, I met so many people that ski. I was on a plane to Arizona. Uh, the, the airline attendant, she snowboards and she lives in Rochester, New York. I love snowboarding. Yeah. I, love it with a pack. I go to Aspen and Heartbeat. I love snowboarding. <laughs> so we, we look, regardless of what people think, we do winter. <laughs> Yes, we do. Shit, I'm in Chicago. I know it'd be cold, mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, your female main character, Brandy, oh my God, confident, successful. But the thing that really stood out to me about Brandy, she knew when it was time to move on. Mm-hmm. She took herself first out of a situation that could have been dash- disastrous for her and him. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 gonna get to Terrence because I still think he's an asshole, but I get where he was coming from. Right. But, but was it intent? And I know you say you write with intent, but was it intentional to make her so, you know, I am it's about me. Shit, it's my time. You saw Brandy coming out of the tail end of second guessing herself. Right. She realized the relationship was on its last leg. She was trying, she was just at the precipice, at the cusp of ending things. Mm. She was trying to make, and so I wanted to show her, like most of us, we see us in our trauma, we see us out of our trauma, but that transition time is so fucking confusing. Can I cuss? Yeah, yeah girl. I wanted to show, and, and, and even Lakia, um, she writes Urban Fiction, she said Brandy pissed her off because she couldn't let Terrence go. People don't mm-hmm. talk about that transitional period when you're coming out of it and you realizing it. So I wanted to show how, how hard it is to come out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's the main reason why I had him propose because she was strong enough to say, oh, hell no. But she right. wasn't quite strong enough to cut it, sever it all together. And you also wrote it as well, whereas with her and Terrence, there was a comfortability in the whole situation. It wasn't in love it was i have respect for you yeah friendship yeah so it was just we're comfortable with each other but i don't want to see what's out there because i don't want to have to deal with bullshit that i don't know about right whereas i got a person i've been with for years and it's comfortable and i'm okay with the fact that she don't want to climb a corporate ladder i can overlook that that she can be a mama yeah yeah Oh, reality. <laughs> but now let's get on Mr. Terrence before I get on my baby Rome. Okay. Now, all y'all that said in there, talking about Rome is y'all baby, shut up. <laughs> we sharing. Sharing is caring. Stop that. Stop that. Okay. But no, Terrence, to me, he was a misogynist, misogynoir. <laughs> 
because he's a black man yep. and he was insecure mm-hmm. and i understand hurt people hurt people mm-hmm. and that's what i gathered from him yep and with terrence there was a motive to behind him being an asshole. Not saying that his motive was should have been executed. The results shouldn't have been executed like they were. But mm. when you grow up with nothing and you grow up poor, why wouldn't Brandy want to stay with him when he climbed for the, from the bottom and now he's here? Right. You know what I mean? This was a true pull yourself up by the bootstrap kind of guy. Right. So he did everything his mother and society told him to do. He right. didn't beat women. He was respectful. He wanted to marry a woman. He wanted to have children. He wanted to have money. He accomplished all those things. Right. And she didn't want him. So so imagine you, you've been told all your life, this is all you need to find the American dream. And somebody comes along and say, no, it ain't. That's Terrence. And it was... Because before I get into the ending of what happened with Terrence, let's get into Rome. Mm -hmm. Rome dealt with the depression of the pandemic. Yes. Coming from a job that was stable, that had a 401k, that was everything. Mm -hmm. Working with his father. To, I'm going to build this website app for um, black people to ski. Mm-hmm. And being a skiing instructor, mm-hmm. you made him from the stereotype of I have this job that is secure to being entrepreneur and risking it all. Yep. So why? Why not? One thing I wanted to show, because it's another stereotype in our community, if a man still live at home at a certain age, he's sorry, he's living off his mama. I wanted to show a man that moved, that had enough sense and knowledge to know I'm not healthy mentally. I need to move back home because I need help. I'm not living off my mama. I'm living with my mother. He had money in the bank. He was self-sufficient. He was paying all the bills. But I want I want to break these stupid ass stereotypes that we put on men. It's right. okay. To, why white children and other races let their kids live in the house as long as they want to? Sometimes their husbands and wives stay in the house exactly. until they can save the money to do it. We're the only one that carry around this stupidity, this way of thinking. And it comes back from slavery because if yeah. you live all if you all living together, y'all sorry, shiftless. But I wanted to show someone who had a plan and could start over because any anytime you 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 face a tragedy, whether it's financial tragedy, mental tragedy, you need help to start over. That's true. So he that was is. with his mom. He wasn't living off her. He wasn't going back home and not trying to get his app off the ground and not working somewhere and not have a savings. He had all those things, but he needed to heal. And that's Jerome's story. I wanted to show that. And I wanted to show that it's okay for somebody to switch courses in the middle of their career and try something new and to have the support system that he needed to have in order to try that new thing. And see, and that's why I say your stories resonate with me so much because so this is college. I was grown as fuck going to school to be a doctor. Getting my degree to be a doctor. 
And then I was grown as fuck and decided during the pandemic because of my overall mental health mm -hmm. that being a respiratory doctor was not for me and stopped everything after I got my bachelor's and told the college I don't want to go into the doctorate program. Right. And decided, you know what? I like reading books. Yeah. I like doing a podcast. I like, you know, you know, drinking alcohol and reviewing alcohol. Right. So, you know, I totally understand because yo, because people look at me be able to do it if you didn't have a support system. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing. In my family, I don't know how everybody else family. Right. I have a big ass family. It is eight of us. Right. My mama is one of twelve. My daddy is one of eight. Right. You know what I'm saying? And they all used to live together. Yeah. Same with my mom now. My mom doors are open to whatever child needs her. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. Same with me with my kids. Mm -hmm. If you need to come home, come home. Come home. No questions asked. Mm -hmm. And that right there is so relatable with Rome. And the way you did Brandy, I was in a see you just broke my life. I was in a situation like that too. And I had to think about me first. So I, I feel like you you write in realism so much that anybody who doesn't get it <laughs> just won't get it. And I had Owls Library and Levy, who are two two book talkers who read my book, they refer to my book as slices of life. And that's what they are. They're slices of life. They're, they're not fantastical um over the top, this could never happen. I want you to escape, but I want mm -hmm. you to escape into an alternative realism. Yes, yes. I I truly believe that there are some authors out there that really can pin down people's experiences without even knowing them. Yeah. Truly. Truly. We'll talk about that in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> Now, let's, let's get into the beef between Jerome and Terrence. Okay. Do you think that Jerome handled it wrong? No, because I wanted to show Jerome as a dude who can't really fight, but did what he needed to do in that moment. That's why if you see the way I described the fight, you don't really know who won. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want anybody to know who won. Because mm -hmm. Jerome is this nerdy dude who didn't have to fight. Right. Terrence, but Jerome looked like he could fight. Mm -hmm. Terrence is this dude, the suit wearing dude that people light skin, pretty Ricky type that mm -hmm. people underestimated. But he came from the streets. He just don't act like he's from the streets. Right. So I wanted to show a dynamic where there were two men. Terrence mm -hmm. had outgrown that hood stuff, but could pull it out when he needed to. Right. Jerome was never into the hood stuff, but he was going to defend this woman. I wanted to show that and show them fighting without mm -hmm. showing that someone won. Both of them had scars, both of them had bruises and cuts and was bleeding, but you really don't know. If you read it, you don't know who won. Right. That's true. That is true. But I was rooting for Jerome. It doesn't, it didn't even matter if you wrote it. Because you know how I feel about Terrence, because I just feel like, you know, he did Terrence too much. Misunderstood. Terrence is misunderstood. He, he did too much. He did too much. Fine, it did too much. It's always the light skin brothers. Wait to book four. You think he did <laughs> to book one. 
Now, let's um, let me see. Let's talk about your next book, your newest book. Come on, show it, show it, show it. Vanta Black, y'all. This is a book with a blessing in disguise for those of us who have anxiety, for real. Now, why did you name it Vanta Black, and what does Vanta Black mean? Okay. Um, the book is about two artists and my brother who is an artist and has been an artist since he was little explained to me that Vanta black is the darkest black there is in the world. And a lot of artists love Vanta black because it's the, it's the purest black there is. And when you use Vanta black in artwork, it makes everything sharper because it's so dark. Mm. And so these are artists, they're black. So why not name it Vanta Black? I heard that. This is about Charles and Alondra. Is Alondra? Alonda. Alonda. Okay. That's my, actually, that's my son. My son is dating a girl named Alonda. She goes to Howard. So that's where the yeah, name came from. Now watch out now. Tell them don't watch out for them bets. Watch out for them bets. <laughs> In the corner. So watch out for bets. Okay. In this book. You, we're not dealing with Brandy. She's in the story, but we're dealing with Alonda and her her situation. Yeah. And with Alonda, you are also dealing with insecurities and anxiety mm -hmm. that she's battling with, not just from her past, but that she has also taken on throughout her life. Yeah. And go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Because I want to hear. And in book one, I kind of introduced Alonda as this comedic right. supportive character. Because people who suffer from anxiety always mm -hmm. mask it or try to mask it. Mm -hmm. And how do we usually mask our anxiety? We mask our anxiety through being jovial mm -hmm. or being the advice givers because we're the ones who really need the advice, but we don't know it. Exactly. So that's how I introduced her in book one. Book two, I just gave you more of that. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, you expressed a lot of anxiety with Alonda, Alonda that was keeping her from moving from the moving forward. It was keeping her just stuck in the past. And why was it important to contrast the difference of her anxiety? Because anybody can say anxiety, but you literally put a name to it. You explain what it was completely. Because, like you said, everybody says I, I have anxiety, and that may be true, but a lot of us go undiagnosed. Right. There are different types of anxiety. There are different ways you can develop anxiety. People aren't born with anxiety. They develop it through something that happened pivotally in their lives. You know, it could have been traumatic or a pivotal moment. Now, mm -hmm. most people may say, all she did was move and her parents didn't tell her. To us, it may not be an anxiety-ridden thing, but to a 10-year-old who had a best friend and being pulled away from that security, we know what it's like to have a best friend. Mm -hmm. And to pull somebody away from that, mm -hmm. that was her safety net. So she was falling. Mm -hmm. So how could she trust to develop a safety net like that again without feeling like it's going to be pulled away? So I wanted to show how it slowly developed how it manifested itself, how she lived with it. Because we all live with our anxiety. We still have to go to work. We still have relationships. We still have friendships. We still do things 
in the midst of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to show that just because someone is surviving and they look like they're doing well, they're not. And I had to put a name to it because they're different types. Mm-hmm. Some people have anxiety, but she had an anxiety because any type of change, because of that initial drastic change, manifested. So any type of change was going to be harmful for her. And she had a lot of change that was going on. So that's why I had to put a name to it because people need to know what type of anxiety they do have. And it's so crazy that you had named it because it brought me back to a time when I was in the Marines and I was a sergeant and I had a one PFC that was freaking out because she got stationed in California away from her family. And she asked, the recruiter had told her that she would be stationed by her family, but of course, recruiters lie. And so she was sent to California away from her family. And so she has such crippling anxiety. They had to release her from the military because she just wouldn't come out her room. And it's it's a real thing that people have. Mm -hmm. I've seen people when I was in the military who had childhoods where they moved from home to home to home to home. So when they went to the military, even though it was beneficial to them, just the fact that they had to go base to base to base, Mm -hmm. they had such a hard shell that they could never communicate to other people. So people just play them off and thought they were mean. They were living in their anxiety through normalcy. Their Mm -hmm. anxiety became normalized because it was something that was always constant. So yeah, that's how they do it. Like, like you ever hear people like, oh, I don't like change. I'm not, I can't do change. Right. That's a level of anxiety if you can't do change. Because I, I, I say it all the time to Shannon, like my social barrier is that much. Yeah. And when it goes dry, I turn, my face just turned to a resting bitch face. It's not because I'm mad. It's because I'm drained. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that I'm trying to be evil because people take it as that because I just shut down. Yeah. But people don't realize. That's why I say your book, mm-hmm. your character really speaks volumes to reality yeah now let's get into charles charles ain't never had a worry in the motherfucking world not a one but the only anxiety he had was over the fact knowing if he was going to be in a relationship with alanda or not Mm -hmm. but he had this patience for her that was that was almost unbelievable because you know sometimes Sometimes men or women, they tend to lose their patience before they, you know, try to fix the solution, you know, find a solution to it. Well, you have to think like a millionaire Mm. and and none of us grew up wealthy, wealthy, like inherited wealth. Charles never had to worry about anything. He didn't Mm. have to worry about expressing himself. He didn't have to worry about where his next meal came from, like his friend Terrence. He didn't even, he didn't have to worry about anything. So rich people don't have stress unless they having money problems. True. He had no money problems. So why would he stress about anything? You know what I'm saying? So his only stress was not even stress. It was the fear of losing the love of his life. Mm, and that she was so he didn't even have an anxiety i would say i would say he was just a man that was in love unconditionally and worried about losing the love of his life Mm. doing something that he could have prevented doing go around very wealthy people they're calm 
You ain't never lied. You can fly off the bag and be neck twisting and neck rolling. They'll sit there and be like, are you done? That's why those billionaire romance pop off so good because they just let the woman have it and be like, man, bring man. the heat. You ain't never lied. I, so, I went to, go ahead. Go ahead. You went where? To a, a billion, um, a rich people charity, whatever you want to call it. I had to speak at it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just watching them. And they just didn't have a care in the freaking world. And then when they was asking them to, could somebody just $100,000, that's it. Just hands raising left to right. I said, damn. And not taking, drinking their wine like, I was like. And so that was Charles. That's why Charles had the patience that he had. Because he's never had to stress about anything. So, and 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 usually wealthy people are the most observant people in life. Mm-hmm. Until they get so wealthy, till they just get crazy. And I'm not going to name no names, Elon Musk. But sure. when you don't have to worry about anything, you can sit back and observe life. They mm-hmm. become observant. And so he was an, he was an observer. He was observing her. He was learning who she was. He learned her mannerisms. He learned everything there was to learn about her. Mm-hmm. And to him, the solution was easy. Just love her through her anxiety. Yeah. And he did. He even gave her tools. Mm-hmm. Like, you put in there about him recognizing that she was grown, but she was not mature and mentally because of her sheltered life mm-hmm. that her parents had given her. And it has stifled her growth. And it's just, I was thinking, like, that's a real thing. Because if you ever met a church, I'm talking about deep in the church family, and how they raise their children, they're so sheltered. So when they get into the real world, they are traumatized. What, What made you write that? Like I said, it all goes back to I try to create men, black men in a positive light because mm. we as a community, we as people just dog him out so bad. So I had to make him a good guy. Mm. And he was just a good guy that didn't have any problems. The only problem he had was fear of scaring her away by saying he was in love with her. Yeah. So that's it. So her parents, they are the epitome of, I cannot be held accountable for my actions, <laughs> especially her father. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you should just get over it. It's okay. You'll be all right. Yep. And, and the thing is, the parents thought they were doing the right things because of their traumatic childhood experience. Mm-hmm. They were forced. They were Gen X parents forced to take on adult responsibilities, which most of, most of us between the ages, I would say 35 to maybe 55 Gen Xers, we had to take on adult responsibilities. Parents, do you know where your kids are on? Parent, this was latchkey kid territory. We had to cook for our sisters and brothers. So the parents realized the damage that their parents had done to them and mm-hmm. tried to autocorrect with their daughter. But in autocorrecting, they didn't give it they didn't have any balance. Right. They held the noose too tight. They protected her too much. Yeah. And it had the complete effect that they didn't want it to have. So they yeah. had good intentions. And that's why they didn't understand. Like, girl, do you know what we went through? 
You should be thankful we protected you, how we protected you. So they didn't understand that. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want her parents to be bad parents because they weren't. They weren't, no. They just... They were setting their ways from what they experienced and then they tried to uh, fix what they experienced, but in all actuality, they added on. Yeah. They, they added on to it. So your books, these last two of Season Change books, uh-huh. and I know I told you, and I don't know if you remember, I said that they basically, I wasn't even looking for the sex because the plot was too good. Yeah. So with that being said, will book three be heavily on the plot or the sex or both? <laughs> See, I'm I'm a whore. So I, what I think is not a lot of sex may be a lot to other people. Cause I didn't think this book had a lot of sex in it. Hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So what what we gonna get? What we gonna get? You're gonna get Jerome's mother, Kayla. Remember, he mm-hmm. bought her the ticket to Puerto Rico because mm-hmm. she never went anywhere. She was afraid to swim. You yeah. know, you're gonna find out why she became afraid to swim. She's gonna go to Loesa, Puerto Rico, which is an Afro um, town in Puerto Rico. A, a lot of Nigerians went there during slavery. Mm-hmm. And she's going to meet a young man, a 25-year-old grad student who's from the way of Puerto Rico. And you know, grad students can come to the U.S. He goes to school in Rochester, New York. He went home for the summer because he's a tourist. Mm. And she's going to meet him. And you know, Kayla only been with Jerome's dad. So she he's going to allow her to experience things she's never experienced before. Oh my God, this is going to be a free Puerto Rico. You're going to learn go. a lot about the culture of Luesa. You're going to learn a lot about family in Puerto Rico and how the Puerto Rican community lives and how they treat each other. Because Puerto Ricans, I, and my friend Frances, thank, she lives in Chicago now. My friend Frances... And the way her family is and how they operate it is is similar to how Damien's family operates. Girl, you ain't said a number of words. And my husband is Puerto Rican and black. <laughs> I already know. Yeah. I already know. You know. My kids are Cuban and black. So, <laughs> so, every, so you know, even if it's the uncle, the cousin, everybody can discipline. Everybody can love. Everybody can be your mama. Everybody can be your daddy. They're, mm-hmm. they're whatever you need when you need it. So that's what mm-hmm. Damien is going to be for her. And he, 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 Damien dates older women. So it ain't like this is his first older woman. He dates older women. So Damien's thing is going to be not getting attached to her because he knows what it is. He knows she's only going to be there for two weeks and it's ended. But he couldn't hear. Yeah. So. And, that's, okay. and you're going to get a surprise in book three that's going to have your jaw on the floor. And um, it's going to be Cliff Hanged. Come on, you- darling. Until book four. Oh hell. Yeah. And in book four, you really gonna hate Terrence. Uh y'all, y'all not gonna like Terrence in book Wait four. Wait a minute. Wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this Negro was a reformed what? He yeah, and, and that's the thing. In book one, I changed Mandy's name to Denise because my right. editor said Mandy was too close to Brandy. 
but he's going to be dating Denise still. He's not going to be caught up on Brandy anymore, but something is going to take place in book three at the end that's going to be a piece of book four. And in book four, I'm gonna to try to sum up everyone's situation. Brandon, Jerome, Alanda and Charles, Terrence and Denise, Kayla and Isaiah, and Cheryl and Sam. Yeah, I love me some Cheryl and Sam. I love, cause them, them little girls are something else. I tried to add a comedic element in each book with, with Arnold and Black People Don't Ski and with Poppy and Lily in book uh, two. I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to add, because you know, in black culture, kids are funny when they smart asses. Man. And so that's what I wanted to portray in those books. I wanted to give some comedic element because the topics are heavy when you read about them. Man. All right. So can you tell us what you have coming up? Because I know we got hashtag hockey. <laughs> Life. and Santa baby so let's talk about hashtag hockey life okay can you, can you tell us about this book and what we are in store for in hashtag hockey life you're going to get Justin Tangelo who's a NHL hockey player in DC you know I love DC I had I had you know DC was you know still everything so he's a he's a hockey player in DC he um, has a thorn in his side because he's one of the only few black hockey players on the team. And he has this girl, Jaleesa Wright, who is mm -hmm. a TikTok influencer. And she only discussed hockey on her channel. She's a sports fanatic. Okay. She discusses hockey only. However, she's made it her mission to torment Justin Tangelo every chance she gets. <laughs> okay. And it's rooted because she had such a bad experience in college with black men. Mm. In this story, she's only dating white men. Mm. So you're going to see her not disrespecting black men for being black, but you're going to see her stereotyping Justin through her TikTok videos because she reviews the hockey plays and all this stuff. And Justin is a private person. He's a quiet guy. Some things happen mm. um, that kind of go in the media. Um, he had an incident with uh, another hockey player's fiance oh. that got caught on camera. Oh. And so it causes this big thing. And he's battling like, look, you know me. I his dad is a very supportive man. His dad and his mom, very supportive. But he was like, I don't put my personal life out there. He considers quitting hockey because of this drama. Because it, he's that's not who he is. Um, and 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 Jaleesa, boy, she a smart ass. And she, she, she a smart ass, period. She has a best friend, Michelle. And um, Brian, uh -huh. and he has a best friend, Brian and, and Chris. Uh, so just know that in the ending, I'm not giving Brian and Michelle a story. Michelle is her married best friend. Brian is his single best friend. Just know that when you get to the end, don't ask me for a story for them. I don't know why you told me that and I'm still going to ask. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's about them and they're going to have this, and the relationship develops through TikTok. Because he responds to all of her TikTok stuff. 
Mm. She was, he responds via TikTok. And so it's only like chapter 10, I think 10 or 11, they actually start conversing via text because um, she's going, and she's the type of person, she doesn't want a real job. She works part-time. She doesn't believe in it. Her mom is very strict. We're gonna hate her mama. Uh-oh. Her mom is very strict. You should get a job. You should make money. You should do this. Da, 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 da. So she it works a part-time job. She likes easy. If it's too hard, she's not gonna do it. If it's easy, and that's why she date white men, because white men are easy. White men don't challenge her. White men are yeah, so 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 yeah, so she 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 looks for easy. So she's gonna be temping at the arena where the mm -hmm. doing the playoffs because she's a she's a hockey you know influencer and so her and justin are going to interact things are going to take place and um yeah hockey life well goddamn i'm ready i'm ready yeah so. all right so you have another book which is an interracial romance yes and this is a black woman white man and it's santa baby can you tell us about that Joshua is a first-generation Irish guy living in Athens, Georgia. Um, he his family is strong in the Irish tradition, mm -hmm. and they're big on family. So you know, Irish twins—they have a thing called Irish twins because they mm -hmm. say people in Ireland have babies so close together, one was coming out and one was coming in. So that's the whole thing. They're really big yeah. on family. So at Christmas, he goes home. He's a, he owns his own construction company. It's a small construction company. Mm -hmm. He goes home for Christmas and his brother Jack and her, his wife Sheila are expecting a baby. And every year they put these pictures in the photo albums of what they want to focus on the following year. He puts in his construction company mm -hmm. and his family's like, when are you going to get a girlfriend? Because Joshua wants love. He wants a girl. But Joshua has dated women. And he says the first thing they see is he's Irish. So that's like exoticizing him. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he owns his own construction company, they mm -hmm. don't really see him. And because he's a ginger and he's so good looking. Oh, Lord. They, they, yeah. And, and so that's the thing. He's a lean ginger. I like my man lean. So almost all my men in my book won't be bulky. They'll be the lean, you know, pick up a big girl kind of dude. <laughs> so, um, and so he doesn't like dating in Georgia because of the microaggression. Even though he's a white guy, he doesn't like when he hears the women he goes out on these dates with say certain things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's microaggression. And mm -hmm. so he was like, I'm not dating these women, da, 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 da. And his family, they don't believe in the whole microaggression thing either. They they, they taught him well. Yeah. Um, so his brother and him get into an argument because his brother's like, it's okay if you gay, Sheila can give you a sperm, you can have a baby. Like, yeah, so he gets so frustrated. Because you know how when you go home for Christmas, your family just be like, where your girlfriend? You'll never bring a girlfriend home. We must be gay. So Joshua's sick all up. So Joshua's <laughs> getting his truck and he booked a last minute trip to um, Oxford, Wisconsin to this place called a secret cottage and a secret college is a real place in Oxford, Wisconsin. So then you have, um, Erica. Erica is, a, um, a woman who cut her parents off. She went no contact with her family about four years ago. So the only person in her life is her best friend, Chloe. Mm. And Chloe always trying to hook her up with a dude who ain't no good. Mm. 
And so she's sick of it. So she, and, and the, the, another thing too, her and Chloe have been friends since childhood. Chloe still communicate with her mother about the stuff that Erica does, even though Erica went no contact. Mm. Chloe is a messy best friend. Chloe kind of jealous of Erica because Erica's single. She has a nice apartment. She works mm. for the police department. You know, mm. she don't have to deal with a man, kids. You know how when you were single, you wanted to be married, and then when you get married, you kind of like, oh, I miss single. So she wants her friend to be married so they could be the same. Right. And so they get to an argument Christmas because she get Erica got tired of trying to hook her up with a random dude every time she came over. So she books a last minute flight to a secret college in Wisconsin. Little do Joshua and Erica know the owner of the college was like, I'm going to get this money. What they going to do with snowstorm coming? They ain't going to leave. So they're going to have to just stay there together and work it out. And they work it out. Wow. Ah, ah, ah. Wow. Okay. When somebody said a habitual line step, that's what Chloe is—a habitual line step. Yeah. Um. When do when can we pre-order both of these books? Um, you can actually pre-order Santa Baby now. Yeah, I hear that. So I just did the first round of edits. So um, and actually, Santa Baby is going to be on in color. Because I'm putting um, I'm putting pictures on the headers, so this is going to be a colored a full color book, a oh, colored wow. book. Um, Hockey Life, I haven't put it up on ebook yet because I'm trying something new as an indie author. This is only going to be released on paperback for a full month mm. before I put it on ebook. That's what's up. So just that cover, I would I would. <laughs> Oh, that damn cover. Whole black. He and he chocolate. Uh, so, so, um, but at, um, this, whenever my editor sent it back to me, but um, this is scheduled to be released in November, and um, it's going to be on paperback for a full month before I release it on Kindle Unlimited. Okay. And all of my books are going to be on audio. Vanta Black is currently being um, recorded now by Drama Simpson on audio. And once I get this back and fully edited, he's going to put this on audio. So I'm going to, because just because you read differently doesn't mean, shouldn't mean you couldn't take advantage of listening to a good book. So I try, I'm going to continue to try to put all my books on audio shortly after they're released. With the same guy? Not for this book. I ain't talking about for that one. Yeah, about yeah, Drama Simpson. Because when you showed me that picture, I was like, for the same, with the same guy. And actually, this guy kind of looked like drama a little bit. Girl, please. He kind of looked like drama a little bit. Y'all already know, if y'all is your first time listening to this podcast, I always said that I'm trying to get my husband to do polygamy because I feel like Sharon is caring. So, but he keep turning me down. <laughs> I'm just saying. The more I read romance books, the more I'm inclined to say, maybe we should have a watch you situation. Right, right. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just doing my due diligence. Uh, but, okay. Now, as an author, an indie author, you have been very vocal about TikTok shop and marketing on TikTok. Why is that important? TikTok shop is very important because on Amazon and KDP, if you're selling your books there, 
if you have Kindle Unlimited, you only get a uh, four cents, four four tenths of a cent per page mm -hmm. read on Kindle Unlimited. But it's good for romance authors because it gives us the publicity to pop it. You know, it gives us the views. Right. If you sell your book on Amazon, my books are $15. I only make $5.92 off each book sold. Mm. And if I do expanded distribution, like at Barnes and Nobles and, and, and Target, if they sell it through Katie, if Amazon expands it to them, I only get $4.92 per book sold. Mm. So TikTok shop is a way for the authors to really see and generate revenue. Mm. I sell my books for $15. I get the $15. Even when TikTok puts it at 33% off or gives it free shipping, mm. TikTok eats those costs mm. to boost sales. And every time you sell a book on TikTok shop, they only charge you like a dollar 90 something or a dollar 53 for a service charge. So that means I'm getting my full profit from selling my books on TikTok shop. Mm. I also believe in Audible because so far the books I've sold on Audible, uh, my book has only been up two weeks. I've only got, un I've only got under 30, 30 sales, but I've already made $200 off those under 30 sales because I get a larger piece of the pie. So it's an extra expense. It is expensive. You're going to spend anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred per book, depending on how long it is. Mm -hmm. But you'll see that money back in a in a in a quick turnaround. But I am a big advocate for TikTok Shop because I feel that's the best way right now for authors to make their money. Even if you have your own website, people are on your TikTok. You talk about your book. They have to click on your profile to get to your link tree to get to your website. That's too much work. If it's on TikTok shop and TikTok has over a billion people, they can just click the link in your shop. My video for Santa, um, for Black People Don't Ski, has mm -hmm. over three hundred thousand views. Ooh. <clears throat> I sell about five books per day of Black People Don't Ski. My sales have just started slowing down for that book. <clears throat> Damn, yes, yeah. decent. So anybody out in it, and anybody out there, it doesn't cost anything to set it up. The only thing you need to keep in mind, have books on hand. Because <clears throat> the first time I sold, I only had 50 books because I was like, so this is college didn't sell like I wanted to on Amazon. But when I put Black People Don't Ski, I sold out three times. Wow. So just make sure you buy at least 100 books um, through Amazon distribution because if you put it in your TikTok shop, it's going to sell. Mm. Damn. So what do you say to those authors who don't have uh, the 10,000? Don't you need 10,000 to open? No, not with, not with TikTok shop. I think you can do it with 500, 1,000. You don't have to have a lot of um, people. So what do you say with people who are um, not sure about or they like don't know how to, they don't come on this you know, make videos and stuff like that. What would you say to them to help them in trying to market their book? Because I see a lot of authors like that. They're indie authors and they'll make a video, but you don't see them for like two months later and then be like, oh, nobody's buying my book. What do you say to them? In life with anything, consistency is key. Mm. You see how I come on here and do videos. My yeah. videos where I come on here looking like I'm a pipe head, are the videos that do the best. 
because what people want to see is an authentic person. They want to see a relatable person. They want to see someone that's like them. Right. And if you want to make, and it's all about what you want to do with your career. If you want to make money and you want to continue to sell books, you're going to have to do some things that you don't want to do. Hell, I'm at this job now and it's some things I really don't like. Mm. But I'm staying there because it's paying and it's paying well. So you're going to have to at least, at least, even if you don't like doing videos, put up a video a day. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do a video every day, but put up a video a day because if you get a TikTok shop and you never on TikTok, TikTok is not going to push your merchandise because you never on here. True. So do a video a day. And if you get a TikTok shop, you have to process your orders within three days. And Mm -hmm. it has to be at the post office on that fourth day. Mm -hmm. So just do a video a day. If you don't know what to say, just be like, hey, my name is so-and-so. I wrote a book. Come on the next day. Do something else. And the more you do it, the better you'll become at it. Mm -hmm. And that's how you'll make, I mean, unless you have another avenue to make money, then do that, but you can't make money if no one knows you're out there. If no one knows you have a book, then you can't make money. That is true. That is true. Now, I wanted to move around to some of the book talk drama. (laughs) So, there was a black book talk drama or a usual topic within the black book talk community Mm -hmm. um, that reading black authors that write black books is they don't read it because it's too traumatic. There's not authors that don't, don't write trauma. Now, what do you say about that particular subject? The floor is open. Okay, I got a couple of things. I got three things to say. First and foremost, I've just talked about books that don't have trauma. They have discourse but they don't have trauma. Mm-hmm. They don't present anybody in a bad light. Not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and when we say trauma, we're talking about like rape, sexual abuse, yada, 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 yada. Caveat, if you read Kennedy Ryan and you say you don't read black trauma, you're a liar. Um, <laughs> thirdly, if you read mafia romance, if you read these white books with rape in them, or you read these white books where the, the girl getting kidnapped and you don't see that as trauma, then you're just being anti-racist. Is that the word for it? Anti-black. Anti-black. Well. So that's how I feel about that. If you read books with white people in them that have trauma and you enjoy those, if you read books that Kennedy Ryan, not all of her books, but Long Shot, that series that's very popular, and you haven't had a problem with it, then you are just being anti-black. And to say you can't find any books, I'm on TikTok every goddamn day, sometimes two, three times a day. You're just mm-hmm. not looking for it. You're just not looking for it. And also to add to that, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna save it because you might ask it in the next question. <laughs> okay. Following up with that being said about the black authors and the black uh, alleged trauma, and I'm saying alleged because that mm-hmm. shit ain't true. Anyway, black authors that write interracial romance. 
And then black readers said it takes away from black romance. What is your take on that? If black book talkers who solely read black romance would support more than just their faves, then you probably wouldn't have black authors who write interracially because interracial romance sells books because it reaches a wider audience. Mm. There are a lot of Black authors that are writing Black romance. However, the massive, massive amount of book talkers that read Black romance stick with the top 20 or less. Mm. So if you don't expand your author readership or your author, you know, what new authors you can find and talk about those authors, then we as Black writers are going to do what we have to do to make money. Mm. So you can't get on me about writing interracial romance if you've never talked about my book and I know you follow me and I know you see my TikToks. Mm. Well, so to me, keep your mouth closed if you, you say you're a black romance reader, but you only read the top 20. Well, damn. Um, <laughs> and that that there was the word. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to give you some fire questions. Okay. All right. If you could write in any genre, I'm talking about any genre besides the one you already write in, what would it be and when the hell we going to get that book? Hmm. Any genre? Any, 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 not any, any genre. I probably would do a thriller because with so this is college i kind of enjoy him kicking ass so i would want to write a story where somebody's just going around serial killing people but he's like a he's like a he's like a mr rogers in the neighborhood type you never suspect him but when he goes on these killing sprees he transforms into this sexually appealing you know I swear to God, I think that's a niche for you. I swear to God, because oh, this is college was just it just feel like that was just like the tip of the iceberg, and it was so much underneath. Mm -hmm. So when we get in that book, that's all I'm saying. I've got a long list of books. I've got a NASCAR race book that Ebony Bowser wants me to write, and I've already started developing that. I've got a BDSM romance novella, probably that's called Twelve Play that's coming out. I got to get Professor Resto out. Whoa, whoa, whoa! We not we whoa, whoa, ma'am. Come, come back, come back. Okay. okay. You said <laughs> a BDSM book. Why she call me Miss Perry? Yes, I like to thank the Sisters in Lit and Life on YouTube for that. They were on live one day and they were talking and the story just came to my head. It's about this guy um, and this girl. Both of them are contractors in Atlanta. And, you know, Atlanta's building that police complex. So they're both bidding on it. So Atlanta gives them the bid to share and they hate each other. He's a dominant in the BDSM community. Her yeah. father, she has issues with her dad because she feels like her dad raised her to be hardcore. So she is in training to become a submissive because she just wants a soft place to fall. Mm. So she doesn't realize he's her trainer initially. So at night they're, they're doing the BDSM thing, but during the day they're battling as contractors to get this police complex put up. 
Well, well. And it's called 12 Play because it's going to be 12 chapters, like the R. Kelly song, 12 Play. Okay. Okay, darling. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. I know that's going to be nasty as hell. Uh, <laughs> I just know. I just know. And you said a NASCAR? Yeah. Um, Ebony saw a TikTok of a black NASCAR crew. Mm-hmm. It's going to be based in North Carolina. Um, she's in the banking financial industry. He's a country boy. He's going to be a country cornbread fed country boy in NASCAR. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So, with that, what is your least favorite trope and why? Enemies to lovers. Really? Because if I hate you and you do all the stuff that you, and maybe because I read the enemies to love that white people write, but you ain't going to treat me any kind of way and not have me chop your ass in the throat, period. You not, you. Well, that's true. That's the disrespect. It depends on how disrespectful the enemy is when they're the enemy. Now, if it's a friendly, oh, I hate you, you hate me kind of thing. But if it's you doing some of the stuff that I read in these enemies to lovers, mm. I don't care for one. Okay, but well, what's your favorite trope and why? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know if this is a trope. But it's, it's, I like the kind of rough dude with the good girl, like the bad boy, good girl type. I don't even know if that's a trope, but anytime there's a bad boy and I don't want him to be a bad boy that turns good. I want him to be a bad boy that stays bad and still gets the good girl. That's the kind of trope I like. I don't know if that's a trope though, what that trope would be. But if I had to pick a trope trope, I guess it would be uh, a forced marriage. Because usually with the forced marriage, you get him hating her <laughs> and her trying yeah. to make it work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So who is your book bay from one of your books and why? Hmm. I would have to say Justin Tangelo from Hashtag Hockey Life. I can't wait to read this damn. Because Justin, he gave her an orgasm from sucking her titties. Those are the best. And he's such a nice guy, but when she pissed him off, he flipped her over and it almost turned into a dubious consent type situation. Wow. So, Justin, because he's a good guy until you push him to the highest level of pissivity. So just, I would say Justin Tangelo. Oh my God, he like a rat tamer. Woof. Yeah. Anywho, um, who's your favorite character, favorite book bay from your favorite author and why? <sighs> It'd have to be Virgo Girl. Virgo Girl is one of my favorite authors. <laughs> and I would have to say Tochi. Really? Over mm -hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. 
Cause I like wow. the new boys. Tochi Young, he into the DJ and stuff. He just he just like a little young misguided youth, and Mama can just hug him. <laughs> so, what's next for you? Any upcoming book conventions? Um, what? How many books are we looking for next year? <laughs> um. Uh, I'm doing the Boozy Book Tour in 2024, August 31st. It's an indie, not urban, it's an indie book event, which means it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Puerto Rican, indigenous, Hispanic, you can come out as long as you're an indie author and it's an intimate setting. So they're not going to be 200 people you're competing against. It's going to be a small, cozy event with no more than 25 authors at an event. So everybody can be seen, everybody can be spoken to. So I'm going to, um, you already know. So I'm going to the one in Charlotte, but they have them in Denver, Tulsa, um, Houston, Houston. Chicago. Oh, Chicago. So yeah. Yeah, y'all need to get on it. <laughs> uh, what's coming up for me next year? I have in February a standalone called What's the 411? It's an age gap. Uh, the guy meets a girl. She's 23 at the time and he's 53. They start dating. And when she he introduces the son to him, the son is instantly attracted to her. And so she thought his dad was hooking him up. But he wasn't. He was introducing his new girlfriend. And so they've been together 10 years. Fast forward, he's now 63, she's 33. And the son has this love-hate relationship with her because now she's living in the household with them. And the Ooh. son and her are the same age. So he's growing up seeing the woman that he wants to be his woman with his dad. So that's the age gap romance I have coming out called What's the 411? And then um, I have Black People Don't Swim coming out. Mm -hmm. And those two books are finished. So um, I'm going to start writing. Um, I feel like the Naughty Professor or 12 Play, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going to start working on those in January. So those will probably mm -hmm. be coming out the end of 2024. Okay. Girl, do you take a break? I'm trying to take one now, but hell no. Because <laughs> you, be, you be pumping them out. But you know what? <laughs> It is, it's it's not right now. I have to get them out because they talk. I like literally can't sleep because these they talk to me. Mm. I had to force myself to shut my brain down so I could take a mini break. And all I'm doing now is just editing. I've edited Santa Baby. I'm just waiting on Hockey Life to come back because mm. when they're released, I'm good. December the first, I'll take a little break. January, mm. I got to jump into editing. What's the four one one? So I haven't written anything. I haven't written anything since I finished Black People Don't Swim. So mm -hmm. I'm on a mini break now. But January is back to writing. Man. Yeah. So what are your social media handles where people can find you on social media? Child, um, Black Books Only on TikTok, Black Books Only on Instagram, um, Darlene Cunningham on Facebook, but I really don't go on Facebook like that. I just be on TikTok and I'll go on Instagram occasionally. But basically TikTok, because that's where I get the most viewers mm -hmm. and that's where um, everybody is. So, and I have threads, Black Books Only on threads. So you, do you have a Facebook group or, or a newsletter or anything like that? I keep up with that. I look. <laughs> I 
I'm not traditionally published. So I don't tend to follow the traditionally published standards. And I understand people have newsletters because they want to get it out promotion wise and all that. But I'm a rebel, so I rebel in the words of public enemy. So I try to look for ways to get my stuff out there without following traditionally published standards. Okay. Because I'm not traditionally published and I want to set a new standard for an indie author. What's the point in being an indie author, a self-published author, if you're following the same building blocks that traditionally published has? And you're competing with those people that have the money, the push behind you. You have to think differently when you're indie pub. So I don't do all that yet. So please plug your shop. And anything else you want them to know so they can buy your shit. Um, if you like sweet romances with a story and good sex scenes, go to my TikTok shop, Arthur Darling Cunningham, and buy the book. If you want an exciting story, a story that seems like a fast read, but it's going to leave you with stuff to think about. It's going to leave you thinking of, I challenge the traditional ways of how people love and live. Mm. Flawed people loving and living in non-traditional ways, according to society standards. That's it. Buy my books. Amazon. TikTok. Wait. (laughs) I enjoyed talking to you. I enjoyed it. You answered my curiosity because, you know, I be, I, I, I tell you like this. I tell you one thing, but I'm writing down some whole other shit because I know I want to add something different, but I know sometimes, you know, people don't get it. Yeah. But thank you for answering my curiosity because I was looking at these characters and I was just like, there's more to more depth to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So, with that being said, keep writing them nasty ass scenes. Damn, I I love I love the story. I do. But when I when the story deviates to the damn, make sure you keep doing what you're doing, girl. I'ma try to. I'ma try to. <laughs> keep doing it. The most smutty the better. I'm all for it. I live for that shit. Okay. <laughs> I live for that shit. But I cannot wait for the continuation with So This Is College with Professor Esso. I cannot I cannot wait for seasons change. Yeah. And now hashtag hockey life. Yeah. I might have a new book bay. Yeah. Yeah. And this 12 play. Oh my God. Yeah. Darling, I'm a just beta, a beta reader read Hockey Life and did a review, and she was just a beta reader. <laughs> she enjoyed it so much she did a damn review. Damn, <laughs> damn, damn. Yo, I can't wait. I can't wait. Woo! All right. So thank you once again. Thank I appreciate you. Um, you're probably gonna get another interview when you're on the boozy book tour because I'm gonna be there and um I'm gonna have my drone with me so we can get aerial shots of us doing okay. the review. Okay. But, um by that time, should it be another book out by this yeah, time? By that time I'll have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'll have seven books out. Okay. 